0: Did you know that all three of Europe's active volcanoes are in Italy? Did you know that Italy is tied with China for having the most UNESCO World Heritage Sites in the world? And did you know that Italy is the world's largest wine producer?
1: Hello and welcome to TripCast360, podcast of lively banter about travel, tourism, and entertainment. This is Michael Gordon-Bennett coming to you from Las Vegas, Nevada, and I am joined by the Barbados Flash, you know, that young man we call Dave <laughs> Apple, who is currently in the Big Apple, further known as New York City. And we have a pretty exciting show for you today. Part of our show will be discussing Italy, and then we're also going to have a wide-ranging discussion on a variety of topics. But before we get into all that, Dave, how you doing, man?
0: I'm doing fine. I had my first dose of the COVID vaccine on Saturday. I'm feeling really good about that. I'm scheduled mm-hmm. for my next uh, second dose in 30 day, in 28 days. After that, they said, another 7 to 14 days you should wait before it reaches that 95 or 96%. Oh,
1: and, and, the ep- that, and efficacy, yeah.
0: Yeah, and at that point, I'm ready to travel. I'm ready to jump on a plane.
1: You know... I'm fortunate living here in Nevada, you know, our state population is small and a lot of people are really you know, getting the vaccine. I know they're doing it on a per capita basis. I'm more worried about the tourists that are coming here because Las Vegas is open. Uh, the governor had said it to open 50% by the 1st of March and I know by this summer it's gonna be exploding here. Um, so um, you know, I'm kinda glad to see that we're starting to move in the right direction. And as regards to travel and tourism, uh, everything that I've been reading suggests that domestic travel is going to recover first. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I bought a few well-placed stocks and a few travel companies just so I can keep an eye on them and follow what the um, analysts are saying. So that was one of the things that came out of that.
0: Are uh, you wealthy folks? you rich folks?
1: Now, that's your money I invested. <laughs> I'm just wanted to let you know that right now. <laughs> that that none, that money that you sent me to pay for us, I just use your money. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, all right. So before we uh, get into the uh, uh, nuts and bolts of today's show, the few housekeeping notes like we do at the beginning of every podcast, uh, you can catch our podcast on our website, TripCast360.com. Uh, We're also available on every single podcast platform you can imagine, but we prefer you come to us directly, of course. Um, And, you know, we've got uh, uh, some exciting things coming up uh, in the next couple of months as uh, we are anticipating the return of at least some semblance of normalcy in the travel business. So hopefully you'll join us and uh, um, get your friends and uh, stuff to like us. And uh, I'm going to give a special plug before Dave talks about our social media platform. We've been making a concerted effort over the last couple of weeks to really utilize the Instagram platform. So, yes. I, uh, Dave's going to mention that in just a moment. But I want to make a special mention to get uh, p- as many people as possible to follow us. It lends itself well to what we do because you know travel is a visual medium, and uh, we've uh, started to have some really good success. So, please, uh, uh, if You want to follow us on any platform that's social media related? Start with Instagram.
0: And like Michael said, follow us. We're on social social media at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, LinkedIn. Follow us, link, like us, message us, and tag us. And I'll tell you what, uh, subscribe to our newsletter. There's loads of great information there, including travel deals that you might want to consider.
1: Yep. And, and again, as I, as I stated, all of this is going to be uh, really taking off in the next couple of months as we prepare for what I'm going to assume to be a pretty good summer travel season. Um, definitely domestically, but I think even the Caribbean, I know a lot of Americans are afraid of the Caribbean boogeyman in the summertime because of the hurricane, stop it. Take yourself to the Caribbean as well. They're waiting for you anyway, so stop running around hiding because you're afraid of a hurricane. That that's, ridic- that, that's ridiculous to me. It always has been.
0: Uh, one of our po- podcast guests, you know, we did the, the uh, Galapagos uh, Islands. She did such a fantastic job at presenting that. That'll probably be one of my first trips. Once I, Well, first, I visit my kids, I visit my family. But after that, for leisure, I think the Galapagos Islands will be one of my first trips.
1: Yeah, you'll be up there kissing the sea lions, man. Come on, you're not not supposed to touch those animals, by the way. (laughs) Anyway, before our guest hangs up on us, um, (laughs) let let me get her in here. Our guest is Loanne Lake, a communications and public relations strategist, journalist, and published author. She has worked with Fortune 500 companies, the U.S. government, nonprofits, and tourist destinations. One of the reasons we have her here today is to discuss her extensive global travels that includes at least 18 Caribbean islands, 28 U.S. states, and several international locales, which includes the primary subject of today's show, Italy. We also examine the benefits of showcasing culture to attract and retain visitors, a subject near and dear to my heart, and later we'll discuss her podcast, authored by us. It's a jam-packed hour, so without further ado, Loanne, welcome, welcome.
2: Good afternoon,
1: gentlemen. How are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, gosh, you call this gentleman. Look out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's
2: That's do that again. Good. good afternoon, Michael and Dave. How are you? Oh, that works. That works.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Um, I spoke to you, and you, you have traveled to so many islands. Uh, but you wanted to talk about Italy. Well, I'll tell you how much I know about Italy first. Okay. The only thing, what I know about Italy, that is south of France, it, it borders Switzerland, and it borders Austria. <laughs> I,
2: <laughs> you know more than I, I did know, when I went
0: there. <laughs> I, I know about Vatican City. I've heard of Venice. Well,
2: really and truly, Dave, I had, that was my first time out of what I would consider the, the US and Caribbean um, spectrum. And mm-hmm. I was in graduate school, studying tourism and hospitality at Temple University. I, w- I didn't get to do study abroad as an undergrad. And so I had promised myself when I, if I had the chance I would do it. And I really had my sights set on Spain, but they did not have a summer curriculum that I could take for my degree. And I was heartbroken. So I was like, oh, where else can I go? Because and I picked Spain because I, I love Spanish. I had studied it all through high school. My, my dad's family grew up in Puerto Rico. So we we listened to a lot of Spanish music in my family. But since I couldn't do that, I said, well, Italy wouldn't be so bad. That's somewhere I've never been. And I looked at what we would be studying that summer. And I said, sure. Six weeks in Rome, had no clue about anything other than Italian food, and decided I go do this. This is 2000, mind you. So I'm studying tourism right before 9-11 hit. So it was a very interesting time altogether because that happened right after I came back. But it, I couldn't pass up the opportunity to spend a summer abroad. And uh, Temple University has a campus in Rome. So we were able to, they place us in apartments, in a very very regular Italian community where nobody speaks English. And if they do, they don't want to speak it to you. So they just watch you suffer and try to, you know, make (laughs) your way through. So I was in grad school. Uh, They paired me with two other graduate students and we're friends till today. Had never met them until the day we got on the plane from JFK to go on this trip. And we were so not acclimated, like literally our first day there. Went to a grocery store. We're trying to buy groceries. Nobody spoke English. They were laughing at us. And I had a colleague who said, "Oh, just add an O to everything. You'll be fine." I'm like, "That's not going (laughs) to. That will not work in my favor." So all I really had was a little um, a language book that I had bought that taught me how to pronounce the letters, and that was my introduction to Italy. And I think I sat in on a one of the language classes that my my roommate was taking so I could hear how they pronounced everything. And that's how I learned to get my way around. But yeah, long story, that's why I ended up there.
0: If I'm planning my first trip to Italy, what should I consider? How should I plan that trip? What goes into the details of planning a trip to Italy that I come back to and I love this place?
2: Why I still have this affinity? I've been back once since then. Um, but it, it was, it grabbed my spirit, like really, and truly it grabbed my spirit, but I would say, you know, my trip was planned for me, but knowing what I know now for sure, learning how to pronounce things helps, especially if you're an American person and we tend you know, the stereotype there, which I even heard them say, Oh, they're American. They don't know better. You know, there's a period in the summer and we were there in the summertime. So the first six from May to July. There's a period when the American visitors come and everybody's cringing because they know that there's a certain attitude or behavior that American visitors would bring with them. So I would say try to learn as much of the language as you can. At least know how to say the basics so you can be respectful and talk to people in their native tongue. Um, And then figure out what about being there would interest you most. You know, I knew nothing about Italy. So I just found ways to explore, and um, our apartment was maybe a three-mile walk from from our campus. So we would walk together every day, pass things on the side of the road, stop and try a restaurant. You know, we loved the pizza because it's nothing like American pizza at all. It's so much better. Uh, everything was fresh, so that was another thing. Like there were no preservatives in our food. Everything was freshly made. Picked from the market that day. I mean, it's such a different culinary experience. So I would say if you yeah. like to eat, you plan your trip around the food things, you'd be fine. Um, I would also say, you know, learn how to get around on the trains because, well, maybe not. I was there however many years ago. That's 2000, 2001. So things probably have changed. And I'm sure they have um, companies like Uber now there. But we relied on our feet, the buses, and the trains. And their train system is rather extensive. So, you know, at least read up on those things. And now that we've got blogs and other means of learning about a place, you can, you can find out what appeals to you before you get there. So you're not clueless and, and just expecting everyone to cater to, especially, you know, like I said, to cater to your Americanness, where you just assume everyone will speak English because you're there. You know, really right. and truly, these are everyday folks going about their lives and they want you to try to at least learn how to speak to them.
1: So Yeah, you, you hit on a pet peeve of mine. I call it the ugly American syndrome where we go over oh, there they, and, think yes, we and own they somebody else's country. I hate that.
0: Exactly. And I'm not gonna add that over the end of every word. No, I didn't do that at all.
2: And that wouldn't have worked because you know their their alphabet has things like double C's and double Zs. If you don't know how to pronounce that or the CHs, you you will embarrass yourself very quickly ordering a cup of coffee.
0: So I'm only saying that because Michael, um, Michael tried that and he was thrown out of a couple of bars, you know. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah, I call them (laughs) Davos. I I don't know if you've seen this or not, but uh, Stanley Tucci is actually doing a show on CNN. Uh, I believe it's Sundays. It's all about Italy. He's done it for three or four weeks. I've seen two episodes so far. and You mentioned cuisine. Mm -hmm. He has spent a lot of time talking about cuisine. And he actually mentioned in one of his episodes about Italian pizza, which is mm-hmm. so unlike American. pizza. Oh my
2: gosh, pizza. nothing like
1: Be- that! Before we get, I mean, that's one of the things Italy is probably most famous for is pizza. Tell everybody what an Italian pizza really is as compared to what we get to grease factories here in America.
2: <laughs> I don't even know what they put in it, uh, Michael. It's just, it's just, it doesn't even taste the same. All, you can taste the basil. You can taste the fresh. You know, they make the marinara sauce fresh. Um, usually a square, you know, I guess you'll see it in some places as a Sicilian pizza. So it's square and cutting or cut into rectangles more so. So you pick up the slice and you carry it in your hand, but it it just tastes so much fresher. The dough is lighter. So to just as an example, you know, Mm -hmm. I told my friends I was going to Italy. They thought I would come back overweight and had gained all this weight, but we walked everywhere. And that's the thing, you know, the food is great but it's not rich. It doesn't tire you out. Um, and I think because they still do siestas, people, if they get tired, they take a nap. And then at night, they're up and they're walking. So whatever they do to cook the food, I think the freshness of it, and then that it it doesn't leave you heavy and sluggish and tired. So you you feel energized to go and do something else. And I think the secret is really when it comes to meals in Italy, you're encouraged to have some type of wine between each thing so um, I know this is beyond the pizza but for instance you have your meal they'll serve like the, the starter course which might be your salad or your vegetables then you get the meat and you get the start so it comes separately so as opposed to putting everything on one plate and you just sit there and eat it it comes in sections you have some type of wine in between then you have your dessert and there's a dessert wine to go with that to cleanse your palate so you know, they help you burn it
1: off with, with the delicious no, wine. No no wonder you're in love with the place. <laughs> I can I can see it on your face. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, all right. Okay, you started your journey in Rome. Let's let's have a, a Rome discussion. Um let, let's pretend Dave and I are tourists. Okay. And we go to Rome for the first time. What is it that we need to know about Rome? Places to, to go see for let's start with places to go see when you're in Rome. If you've got two days there.
2: Oh man. Uh there is a, well, oh my gosh, can I remember what it's called? The Spanish Steps is definitely one. It's a popular tourist attraction. And so within Italy, they've got gardens and they have piazzas or plazas. So the Spanish Steps was one of those places where lots of tourists come. They take pictures there. They have weddings there. They're, so there's always a plaza with a fountain and steps. And so the Spanish Steps, which is not far from one of the beautiful gardens there, um there is obviously the vatican um which is its own city if you didn't actually it's in, its own state within it's own, Italy. Game, right. it's, its own state has its own postal code and everything uh definitely do that um there is also uh we called it they called it the wedding cake i don't and i wish i had thought to look that up before i came on here but it it's a big white found, uh, building downtown room somewhere that, that looks like a, a wedding cake, and that's what they call it. And then, of course, um, the Colosseum, or Colosseo is what, how they call it. Being yeah. there in person and seeing the Colosseum in a movie, mind-blowing. I mean, when you think about how this architecture has been able to stand for so many centuries, and and really still be recognizable. It, it's a, it's mind-blowing how it was built and how well-kept it is. But the Colosseum was one of my favorites. Um, just It's just larger than life. And you feel so small standing next to that structure. So I would say those.
1: Oh, okay. Now, we briefly touched on, and I know we're going to have a more wide-ranging discussion about culture later on in the show. But the culture of Rome, you know, the people wanting you to at least try to speak a little Italian, uh, the, the food and cuisine and stuff like that. In, in a general sense, how do you find the people of Italy? Do you find them welcoming? Set the language stuff aside for a moment.
2: It was it was interesting for me as a black person um, because I, I wasn't prepared for it. So I'm guessing in hindsight they were, but I didn't feel welcome. And it was because in our class, there were, it was like 35 students, but there were three of us that were black. And I got stared at a lot and I didn't know why. And so because people weren't, they weren't able to communicate linguistically. All I knew was in America, you know, you get a little uneasy if, if, if white people are staring at you too much. And I didn't know what to do with that. It wasn't until I got back and one of my classmates who's from Croatia, he said, they were probably admiring how pretty you are, but nobody came up and told you that, or just how different you look, because it was kids, it was adults, I just didn't know what to do with the stairs. Um, But I mean, no one was mean, I would just say that if you don't try to speak the language, you get a bit of a cold shoulder, versus if you're attempting to, and then they understand and help you through, you know, so you can point and gesture and and, and get your way around. So they're, they're welcoming, but if you're open, if you come over there expecting that people will cater to you, not speaking Italian, you might not get, and again, we weren't in a tourist area, so it might be different in the tourist area, but we were in a neighborhood. So they want you to try and extend yourself.
1: Yeah, the, the, the reason I asked you that question is we had a guest on a couple of weeks ago who was black, but she was from Tunisia. And she actually moved because she had issues I went there. In, in Italy. Yeah, it was, she was a fascinating guest. She actually lives in Portugal now. Uh, and then I had a neighbor when I lived in Los Angeles who was an African-American female. She went to Italy on vacation. She fell in love with Italy so much so that she sold everything she had, which wasn't much. And she was a recovering lawyer and she moved to Italy. And I asked her one day, I said, why did you move to Italy? She goes, the Italian men just love me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, so, and they I mean, pe- people will try to hit on you, yes. But it was, again, it, it just depends on your perspective. And I, I, I would agree, like I was ready to go back. Like, you know, we're trying to scheme, like, how can we get back here? This is a great place. And one of the things for me is, even though my classes were in Rome, our school curriculum was set up so that on, from Friday to Monday, we could travel to other places. And mind you, I went before the euro was a thing. So we were able to spend, you know, our currency took us very far there as college students. So we went to Florence, to Venice, to, we took the train to Naples, we flew to Sicily, which was my favorite, favorite part of Italy because it reminded me of the Caribbean so much. I mean, they write down to the, the cacti that we have that you, you know, we call it in the Virgin's Cascia, but you can write on it, you put your name on it and leave a mark. You know, they had the, the Bougainvillea flowers they had in Sicily. They had the narrow roads like we have in St. Thomas. So like, I mean, when I say narrow, like our roads are really narrow. So if you can drive on the hills that I grew up on, you can drive anywhere. And we'd be on this big old tour bus and they're like, oh, no, they're going to hit us. We can't make it. I'm like plenty of room. I mean, but it was I was so at home in Sicily because it was an island. It is an island. Um, And I happened to be there the year that Mount Etna erupted because it was smoldering Mm -hmm. when we flew in and it erupted like a week later. So very different culture, though. You know, and I learned that as you travel south in Italy, that's where you see the African influences. And and it's because um, Hannibal, as I had learned, conquered many parts of of the country. And so that African influence was there for like 300 years. And even the, the features of the people are different, the dialects are different than up north, but it, it feels more tropical the further south you go. And then if you go to like Milan and Venice and Florence, it's a more European feel. You know, the cuisine is also more catered to, to that environment. So very interesting.
0: You talked about Venice and Venice was built over a lagoon. I also read where Venice happens to be one of your most romantic cities as well.
2: It was amazing. I mean, honestly, we were trying to travel there on a budget, and it's like a maybe two-hour train ride from Rome, so you can get there very quickly. We stayed at a campground, which was a different experience than staying in a hotel right in the heart of Venice. But it's so beautiful. I mean, the colors. You know, if you've ever been to Curacao or Martinique, you know how those colors hit you in the face? Mm -hmm. Venice is like that. The buildings are vivid. It's just amazing. And then to see how they get around on the the, um, gondolas and you've got these ferries taking you across. So while we were there, there are these little, um, I guess, keys is what you would call them and it was uh Murano, Burano and Torcello. And so Murano is where they do the blown glass where which becomes uh some of the souvenirs that the islands sell. Uh, Torcello was full of churches. Burano was uh, some other kind of uh I think it was lace or something they were known for. But you could take the ferry over there and their whole culture is built around the water. But what's so amazing is because the land space is so limited, it's Packed. I mean, wall to wall. I don't know how that would work in COVID, but it was wall to wall. People, probably as many people as there were pigeons. That that was my biggest (laughs) joke. I do not like pigeons, and they were everywhere. And of course, everyone wanted to feed them, so they just came in droves. but, um, But the architecture in Venice was absolutely stunning. And even if you knew nothing about Italian history, or venetian culture it like i said it just it spoke to my spirit and so it, it was just gorgeous
0: did you get the opportunity to visit any of those art galleries they say there's so many art galleries there
2: i went to some i wasn't big on art back then um i i think i would appreciate it more now but i did go to some i was more interested in Things around the food and the music. So, for instance, I I went to a classical concert that was held in a church that was not far <laughs> from the water, and, and I played clarinet. So, like hearing the symphonic sounds just really spoke to me. And um, and then after that, we went and had dinner right by the water, and the waiter served a whole fish, just like we do in the islands. You know, a whole fish, yeah, but deboned de- de- it in one one swoosh, like took the whole thing out fish stayed intact. You know, so I was more interested in like the culinary and and that part of the music and that thing. I didn't do as much of the art as I would have probably done now, but we did go see um the the statue of David, Michelangelo's David. We saw that in Florence. Yeah.
0: So talk to us about the the food. I mean, what what's it is it is it different there than it is in Rome or Milan?
2: Hmm, that's a good question. I think I mean, I, I didn't stay in Venice very long, but there was definitely okay. a heavy emphasis on seafood, you know, and for me, it was, I love fish. So I, I tried that. Um, I think what you might see as a difference is the, the, the well, actually, no, it, it, everywhere we went, we had impeccable service. I mean, nobody was ever rude. It was such a high quality and we weren't necessarily in expensive restaurants. It's just a culture of service. Um, yeah. So I can't really say that the food was different. I was just, I was just so impressed with the presentation. I think the way they serve food is an art form. You know, everything mm. they did there was was a level of art to me. So it's not just even the physical art, like the paintings. Just the everything they did. And like I said, what mm. I loved was you saw um, families out together. So you know, like I said, they had siestas between twelve and two. Everything closed. And whether you took a nap or you just stayed in your house, people closed their businesses, dinner started at four o'clock, and they'd be open until 10, 10:30 at night, but you would see families out and walking and doing things together. And I, I believe and the the food service is around family. So that whole family style you see at Magiano's restaurant or places like that, that's where that comes from. Because it's they're serving you up in In many places where everyone can eat from the dish together, it's a communal type of meal versus, you know, I'll just have my plate, you have your plate. There there was always an option to have a family style of something. Especially, like Mm. I said, down in Sicily, it was a lot like that
1: too. Mm. For those of you listening, you've probably heard uh, Loanne refer to the islands several times. Uh, She is from the U.S. Virgin Islands, I guess in particular St. Thomas, am I correct? That's very correct. So when you hear her talk about the islands, that's what she's referring to. Uh, She's referring to home, although she lives in the United States now. So uh, I hope that doesn't uh, 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 cause somebody to say, what's she keep talking about the islands for? That's why. Well, Um, if
2: I could (laughs) clarify that, Michael. So we have this thing we say in the Virgin Islands, like the Virgin Islands is home, home, but where you live, in the States or elsewhere is home. So my home is in Charlotte, North Carolina with my husband, but home home is the Virgin
1: Islands. Ah, so, so you hang your hat in Charlotte. Correct. God, got it, got it, got Correct. it. Um, uh, before I uh, start heading north to Milan, uh, you discussed Sicily and, and a lot of people when they go visit Italy, they don't think of Sicily. They think of Venice, Naples, Rome, Milan in particular. They don't think about Sicily. And I I think when you just gave us that little history lesson uh, about how Hannibal had conquered uh, Italy, Sicily's kind of sitting out there on an island by itself. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you just take a ferry across to get to it and and tell us specifically about the Sicilian culture as opposed to mainland Italy?
2: Uh, No, we flew. We flew. It was like, I want to say, a one hour, maybe hour and a half flight there on a smaller plane. And, uh, whereas other parts of Italy, you could take the train and get to it. Uh, we flew there and it was, like I said, it was amazing because we flew in. I did I, again, I came to this brand new, had never traveled to Europe, did not know anything about Italian culture to that extent or beyond what I read to prepare myself. And, um, To fly over, you know, I'm from a volcanic island, but it's never been active. So to fly in, you see this volcano smoldering. It's like, hmm, what's happening here? You know, (laughs) we land in the airport and everyone was very friendly there. So when you, so that's the other thing. I think the further south we went, it was more warm and familial and less hustle and bustle, you know. Uh, And we got to Sicily. And so people know Palermo because that's, you know, the godfather and the mob and all that stuff we were in Taramina. So Palermo would be West. Taramina was East and we spent four days there. And I think if I could have redone my trip and spent a week, I would probably still be over there. It was gorgeous. I mean, and it, it it was, what was different though, the beaches were gravelly. There were lots of rocks. So I wasn't prepared for rocks instead of (laughs) sand. Um, but they had, because it's mountainous, again, it's a volcanic island, it's mountainous. Uh, we took a tram to get to the upper part of Tarmina where everything happened. So all their restaurants, the jazz nightclubs. I would have never expected to hear American jazz in a Sicilian nightclub. But it was amazing. They had this jam session and the artists are sitting in the middle of the floor, not on a stage, but sitting in the middle of the floor performing while the audience sits or stands around them so you're like immersed into the music set it was fabulous and that's when for me i'm like there's certain things that transcend culture and language and music yeah. is one of them and that was that was the highlight of my trip you know in all, all seriousness
1: j- jazz jazz translates
2: it does and the food was amazing so i will say i think if i had to choose between like pasta sauce or marinara sauce, which is the pure tomato sauce in Sicily versus anywhere else, Sicily. Like I could taste those tomatoes like somebody had pushed them in a pot right before they served it to me. It was that good.
1: Yeah. I I, I think people underestimate, you know, because in America, we get so much processed foods. And I think because I, you know, I spent three years of my childhood in Spain. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very familiar with the siestas and, you know, Spanish nightlife, not starting until five, six, seven o'clock in the evening and lasting till midnight. But the freshness of the food that I tasted in Spain sounds similar to your experience in Mm -hmm. Italy. It's (laughs) fresh. It's not something that comes from a factory that's got preservatives added to it. No, they're not having that. And if you serve one of them that kind of food they'll probably spit in your face.
2: Well, let me just tell you. So like when we moved, we were, you know, when we got there, we went to the grocery store. Like I said, we were looking for things like uh pancake mix and instant oatmeal. There was none of that. I mean, <laughs> they, they make everything from scratch. So there was no pre-packaged food item. You know, you had to get the thing you were going to cook and the ingredients to make the sauce and everything else that went with it. So... That was definitely a, a difference for us who were so used to the quick, fast, pop it in the microwave. There were no microwaves in our apartment.
1: Okay. Okay. I got gotcha. you. Now, I, I'm, I've seen a lot of stories of late. And Dave, you, can, you may be able to shed some light on this as well. Italy's culture, the people there are one of the older populations in the world. Uh, I've been reading a lot about that, and, and the fact that there—I know Lorraine Bracco, the actress, has actually gone over and bought like some property in Italy that cost like a dollar, and she's refurbishing all of it too. But I think one of the things that came out in the COVID thing was, you know, Italy was hardest hit of all the European countries I think with COVID. And I think one of the things yeah. that happened was they were talking about the age of the population. Italy's population is just flat out getting old. And did you experience that or did you see a lot of younger folks in Italy when you were there or, or, or did, did you get that sense that it was aging as well?
2: I didn't get that sense at all. It was a mix. I mean, it, it, yeah, where we were, I didn't notice that there were more older or younger people because there were there were folks. It was a mix, a mixed community. Uh, so oh, I did not see that. So I'm not, I can't okay. really answer to that.
1: OK, well, now I'm going to take you north. To probably every, to to, yeah, to every lady's favorite place on the planet. For, for is shopping. shopping, Milan. <laughs> and fashion. <laughs>
0: Sh- shopping, but it's extremely expensive.
2: It is. And also, I will use this disclaimer. I am not a big shopper, but I had to go into a boutique. And my experience with Milan was for work. So at some point in my career, I was the sales director for the US Virgin Islands tourism team. And we, I got to fill in for our then commissioner of tourism at an event. We were hosting Italian journalists. And so I was like, well, I have a passport. I'll go. Hey, I don't care if I'm third on the list of choices, but I'll go. And we stayed in such a fabulous hotel. It was, I don't think I've ever stayed in anything so opulent in my life. You know, and for them, that may not have even have been their highest star hotel, but the level of yeah. service was just amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were there for a travel show. I forget which IBT is what it was, and so two things struck me. Um, not related to the travel part, people take their vacations or their holidays seriously over there. Like this was a travel show for families, for the public. Folks were coming with. Uh, carry on bags with travel brochures because they're that serious about where they're going to plan their next holiday as a family. So that was that, but my flight over there had gotten interrupted because there was a, a airport strike by the baggage handlers or something. So I couldn't get mm-hmm. my luggage. I had a presentation to do right when I landed and I, all I had was the clothes I'd been traveling in for like two days and so we had to go to a store to find an outfit. And I'm like, I work for a government. I cannot show this price tag to my boss. Like, nobody's going to reimburse this thing. I was able to, I had to write out a whole memo about why this outfit cost what it costs and why I had to purchase it. But I will tell you, like, I still have those to the dress that I bought and the, the pantsuit that I bought, I still have those to this day because they were so well made. I can see why they charge what they charge. But to the average shopper who's used to, you know, bogo or some kind of discount, that wasn't happening. It's, it's boutiques. It's sophistication. I mean, the, just the people going to work were dressed like they were on a runway in New York. So you had to be up on your fashion to feel, to feel comparable there, for sure.
1: <laughs> and not, not to mention the fact that that part of Italy is up by the Swiss border and by the French border so you're literally within an hour of the French Riviera and anybody who knows anything about Monaco and all those places nice uh yeah those people dress and they dress well
2: they dress well but uh, I mean Milan I didn't see much of it but it had a New York kind of feel to me like the the um the skyline and it's it's such high buildings that you don't get as much sunshine in on the streets as you're walking and it's it's I think there's a big financial district there too. So it did have that, you know, lower Manhattan feel to it. Um, but people, the women were impeccably dressed. Absolutely.
1: And, and the men dressed like slobs. I got it.
2: No, no, um, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm teasing.
1: I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm um, teasing. When it comes, to, I know you had mentioned earlier that getting around Italy from city to city is fairly easy because you can just take a train. But when you're in a place like Milan or Venice or Rome, um, are people getting around mainly on foot, car traffic, bicycles, like Copenhagen, the famous place for bicycles, for example? How do you get around within the city?
2: Mopeds. So in in Rome in particular, we saw a lot of that. So there were mopeds. And then what we call the um, the mini coupe here, they had... uh, there was a name for it that was tied to their currency back then, uh Cinquecento, I think is what it's called. They had cars that were smaller than a Cooper, and we're like, how in the world can anybody fit in that and ride comfortably? But there were lots of little cars, not electric, but still very small in size. So that whole fiat, which is Italian, you know, the fiat size vehicle and smaller, and then mopeds. And when I tell you, they have that down to an art. We saw a man, his two children. And his wife on a moped, and they pack them in, and they've got their groceries on the back, and they're cutting through traffic, and they are not afraid of the cars around them.
1: That's scary, especially for somebody my size, Dave.
0: Did you get the opportunity to visit Verona?
2: I did not. The furthest north I went for my study abroad, the furthest north I went was, I don't know what you did. I think Venice is higher up than Florence. That was it. And then on that second trip back, Milan, but so I didn't get to go to those parts. But I, I remember when our class arrived, we went to some type of vineyard that had a castle. They served, served us a seven course dinner.
0: <laughs> and part of
2: that was wild boar. That's all I remember. But it no,
0: was no, 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 no.
2: Ama- I didn't have that, but it was an amazing <laughs> spread. Um, and I also went to this other little town. Tyranny, where i tried whitewater rafting for the first time and i mean that was the kind of place where it's great not a whole lot of people not a lot of visitors but you don't want to miss your your taxi back to the main place because it takes a long time for the next one to come um so that was the that was what i recall
1: um do you have a favorite italian experience from your two trips there Good or bad, it doesn't matter.
2: <laughs> like I said, Sicily was was where where I think I, I left part of part of me. Um, it was it was just it was breathtaking, and um, I think because it felt so familiar, you know, uh, I, it was an unexpected kind of connection that I had. Mm-hmm. And if I could go back, I would. I mean, one thing about COVID that has made me sad is there's so many places I haven't gotten to travel to yet. That I wonder what it will be like to visit, and if, like after Hurricane Katrina affected New Orleans, I went there after for the first time, but it wasn't the New Orleans that it was before Katrina. So I just wonder, even now, if I travel to some of these places, what will the interactions be like when I get there because it it will be different, especially in a culture where people are they're you know they they're up close it's It's about being close to people. You know, having to now experience a place as, um, for lack of another word, I'll say intimate, you know, as Italy and be distanced if that's going to continue. I just think it will affect the experience you have as a visitor because people may be less, less willing to interact with you who are from there. And so it might just be you doing more of a self-serve type of vacation than you might have gotten before.
0: We mentioned Vatican City earlier. Um, can you speak more to Vatican City as it relates to the surrounding cities? What is different, if there's anything different about Vatican City, in terms of culture, you know, the, the uh, Italian culture?
2: I don't think you have as much of the cultural things there because Vatican City really is all about, the culture is the Vatican. It's, it's the experience of being around the Vatican. Um, And it's a very touristy area. You know, we might call it a tourist trap. So it was hard to identify culture per se, because people go there for their pilgrimage to visit the Vatican, see the Pope. I didn't get to go in because I had not read my manual and knew not to go with open shoulders. I had on a, you know, a a sleeveless dress, and they won't let you in there without your shoulders covered. So I was unable to go in that day, and I didn't have time to go back um but it's a, it's different i don't know so much that i felt culture there but you you know they have their own police it, you the whole focus of going there is is to be at the vatican see the pope and experience that that religious feel yeah. or pilgrimage so i i didn't you could almost feel like you had gone to somewhere completely different even though it's right in the heart of rome because it's it's so sen- so centric to, to the church Everything is about the church.
0: Well, you can tell that I've never been to Rome. That's
2: okay. <laughs> I, think, I don't consider myself an expert either. I mean, I, I think if I could go for six weeks and leave knowing enough Italian to catch a taxi, anybody can go and immerse themselves and and, and do what they need.
0: Yeah, but I see Dave, all those pigeons.
1: Yeah, but Dave's <laughs> old enough to remember uh, the Roman Empire, so I'm just curious. <laughs> I, you know, one of the things that I'm um, curious about is in a post-COVID world, how the global European, in particular, travel community is going to recover from this. I mean, Italy is one of those countries that's literally dependent on tourism, just like the Caribbean. Of all the European countries, Italy is probably more dependent on tourism than probably ninety percent of them. And so, I'm I'm going to be curious to see as they are able to reopen. And, and I, again, I don't know if it's going to be this summer, given the vaccines and things like that. You know, the Italian economy was already having issues before the COVID hit. Yeah, So uh, it, it's going to be curious, you know, in a macro sense to just how are they going to recover? I mean, it, you know, I, I know, you know, when you're watching Stanley Tucci on his CNN special, you get one impression of Italy, but that appears to be shot pre-COVID. Right. Um, and so it, it's going to be interesting and you know, because people haven't had that intimate contact that you referred to right right.
2: I mean, Michael, honestly, that is a question I think every destination has to be asking itself right now. And if for me, i I get geeked about those conversations because tourism development is really something I find very fascinating. And so I, I, I would love to be sitting in on those conversations, like, how do you still do this? For instance, if, you know, in Rome, you're walking down one of the streets and the, the pizza, you asked me about pizza earlier, and I, the memories are coming back to me now. So, you know, the pizza shop is street side, big old open window. The uh, gelato was a big thing. Oh, gelato was amazing. Ooh, I and, forgot
1: to ask you about and, that, go and, uh, ahead.
2: <laughs> Which is, for those who don't know, gelato is their ice cream. And it's not the stuff we get in the grocery store here. It's just, it's not Cold Stone Creamery. It's just a different richness that I haven't tasted anywhere. And then those Magnum um, ice cream bars that are big now, they were out back then in Italy. And I was so happy to see them in the stores here. But I digress in saying the, the, the restaurants, some of them were walk-up storefronts. So their fast food was the little pizza shop was the little gelateria and it was open. Nobody used, you know, they might've used gloves to scoop it out, but it, you weren't thinking about that. I, I mean, me, I'm like, I hope there's not dust in it because we're street side. <laughs> but everything was open, you know, and the yeah. food wasn't necessarily covered and they're not a takeout culture. So you're eating the food there. You're standing in the street. Eating it where you are, or you're sitting in the restaurant eating it. They didn't have to go boxes. And I learned that the hard way (laughs) because I (laughs) almost had my lunch thrown out because I said I wanted to go. And there for them, that's takeaway. To go means you're done and they're going to discard it. So because people tend to eat what's there, then they don't pack it up and go home with it. So they didn't have styrofoam containers to package up my food nicely. Um, And so when you're used to serving people, right on the spot, we're standing on the street, eating shoulder to shoulder with people, things aren't necessarily covered up for, you know, germs or whatever, that's going to change the way they um, execute and, and the way their culture operates, because it is about eating together and hands on the food and everybody sharing the same utensil. I mean, family style becomes different if everyone has to have a different spoon to scoop out everything, or God forbid, you can't even do that. So they're going to bring you your own bowl now. So then is it really a family style dinner? You know, you don't pass around the bottle of wine and share it as a group anymore because now it has to be single served. Can the, can the servers get close enough to you to serve the way they normally would? Like all those things are going to change your, your visitor experience whether it's Italy, whether it's the Caribbean. I mean, you know, we, we're, we love people too. We're a hugging culture. This not being able to touch folks has been hard, you know? So it changes the experience. And I don't think everyone has fully come to grips with how different their tourism product will have to be at the end of all
1: of it. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. At this stage where we are
0: at um, with COVID, what, what do you consider to be normality? What's going to be normal like again? Or will, will there be a new normal or will we go back to the way we were pre-COVID?
2: I, I wish I had the answer to that. All I'm thinking about is carnival. Like, how do you do carnival? How do you do juve? How do you do Mardi Gras if you cannot touch people? Those are not cultural events that are meant to be done at a distance you know, and I don't know how far your listeners are coming from, but carnival in just about every Caribbean island is a big street party for at least a week where you're eating and drinking and dancing and you are shoulder to shoulder, you know, to everybody, whether you know them or not. And I, I would love if we can go back to that, I mean, it would, I think it would be hurtful to, to not be able to engage that way. I just don't know what it will look like. I mean, the Virgin Islands was the first island to have to do a virtual carnival last year, 2020. And our, our kudos to our department, our tourism department. They pulled it off very, very well, not knowing what that would look like. But I don't think any of us want that to be the norm. Because even if you have the virtual concerts, it's not the same as being there in person with the loud speakers and the, the big bands and the costumes. And I, I I played Mass for years. So it's different to watch it versus to be immersed in it. Um, and I, I think so, to your question, I hope it's not, I hope our norm can be we return to some of that festiveness with safer restrictions but it it will change. It will change everything. And so for a visitor coming, whatever it looks like in the future, they won't know what they've missed unless they look at that on an old video. But for those of us who know what it's like to to revel, you know, to play mass, to fete, we're going to feel the difference because how do you not dance and hug the person that you're coming down the street with? And how do you not, um, some people, you know, share a bottle of beer or I mean, you, like I said, you hug people, you're, you're, you're getting together with your friends. How do you do that and be six feet apart or with a mask? I mean, I, I just don't know what that looks like.
1: But that's going to be difficult. I mean, for somebody who has been to New Orleans for Mardi Gras a couple of times, you can't walk down a, a, a half inch of a block and not bump, in, bump into people. I, I produced a TV special for the Travel Channel back in 1999 or 2000. And it was the first time I'd been to New Orleans during Mardi Gras. I was astounded at how many people jam into that little tiny French quarter, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the 12 days before Lent. It was just, you're right. I don't know how we get that back. I don't know how a place like New Orleans is ever going to be able to go back to Mardi Gras as usual. I, I don't see it. And in the Caribbean, it's equally as devastating.
2: I know. I mean, I've seen some of the chats. You know, Trinidad tried to do a virtual carnival this year. But their artists are hurting. And that's the thing. It's not just even about the visitors. It's the, the businesses that depend on the revenue from these events that, wh- what does normal look like for them? Because if you can't get the travelers to come and mask the way they used to, then how do you make up that lost revenue? What else can mm-hmm. you do to draw them when your whole livelihood, if you're a performer, your whole livelihood is parties and concerts. Yep and gigs around the world that, you know, just even think about it. When I looked at some old uh, programs, because Netflix has become my best friend, you know, and I look at live concerts and comedy shows and even church um, services that are packed, We're, we're, we're so used to being so close to the next person. And it had me thinking about just even Broadway. I miss going to a show. And, you know, it's like, how do you, how do you put, 400 people in a little theater when before that was what you were going to experience in this cozy atmosphere. But now if somebody coughs, you know, we might all be squirming. So all of it has to be rethought. And um, I think whoever is first to figure out the best way to do it will win the prize.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, totally agree with you. And actually, that's a perfect segue into uh, another topic we wanted to touch on in the few minutes we have left with you, is the benefit of showcasing culture to attract and retain visitors. What you just said is going to make that comment extremely difficult to obtain.
2: I agree. I mean, well, I think people have to re- re- reimagine how to display their culture. And, and that's where it comes to maybe you do it in smaller settings. But but as, as a travel destination, that's the development piece. That's looking at what you have to offer and saying, well, this is what we did all these years before. Does that still work now? You know, New Orleans as a city has to say, okay, Mardi Gras was like our biggest draw, and then you had the um, the, the essence,
1: essence festival. Essence
2: festival. You had the the, the game, the the uh, the football games. Mm -hmm. drawing a blank here, but the football games between the two HBCUs that are there, you know, and how do you, what else can you showcase or how can you put on this art form for the world and still adhere to whatever, you know, the, the World Health Organization says is a safe standard. My hope is that like the flu, COVID becomes something that you, you, it comes and goes, but if it comes, it's not deadly and it's not, you know, we can still function as a society with it, whether you're vaccinated or not, because it won't be as potent as it was when it first hit us. That's my hope. To me, that would make normal somewhat palatable if, because I can't imagine people being forced to live virtually for the rest of their, their existence. That's just not who we are.
1: It, Human nature doesn't lend itself to that. No, we. That, that's
2: um, not, that doesn't
1: work. <laughs> I'm hopeful that sometime before
0: summer, that we'll probably reach herd immunity and this conversation would be meaningless. You never know when the next variant they're talking about, all these different strains and
2: right. variants. There's I always mean, that's, something. That's,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think I'm not a scientist, but I play one on a podcast. <laughs> and, um, I know enough about science from my days in, in college that I think we're going to be dealing with some form of COVID-19 and variants for years to come. I think it's going to be more along the lines of we'll get some sort of global herd immunity, but it won't be complete. And we're right. going to have to deal with variants because any time a virus is allowed to change, it's just like anything else that evolves in in in, in a scientific world, it's going to change. It, there's going yeah. to be other variants of the same thing. And it's just going to be a matter at some point of booster shots after a while. Right. So I, I, I do think we're going to live with it for a while, but if we get the basic COVID under control, we could deal with the variants.
2: Right. And here's the thing I was going to say, part, part, you know, part of this, to me, part of the lesson is we have to treat our bodies better. We have to treat our temples better, which means healthier eating. Well, that becomes an opportunity for a destination that's food-centric, to show how you can live healthily with food. And that, if we, when we talked about distinguishing destinations, everybody has something in their culinary palette that's different and unique. And that will allow us to, to find ways to showcase other parts of ourselves, no matter where the destination is.
1: Right, right. And, and actually, I'm gonna dovetail that conversation on the conversation we had right before we came on live with the podcast and that is marketing our cultural differences and we were specifically talking about the caribbean Mm -hmm. every beach every country in the caribbean has got a beautiful beach somewhere Mm -hmm. everyone and so when i'm looking because i'm working in the travel space i i can discern that I'm going to go to St. Thomas today, Puerto Rico tomorrow, uh, Barbados the day after, you know, Aruba another week. I, I get that, but for the average person who's either visiting the Caribbean for the first time who does not come via a cruise ship, they can't. They they don't get the cultural nuances of the Caribbean. You mm-hmm. got French speaking, you got the Danes, like you had mentioned in St. Thomas. How do we go about embracing those cultural differences and use it to market?
2: well th- yes that's a million dollar question and you know to all the things you just mentioned there's so many countries that have influenced the caribbean region i think we start there you know it's our language it's it's what our local dialects are it's without exploiting yourself there's a way to introduce people to your culture i mean madras has has come back alive as a as a it has a resurgence as a fabric you know Using, But each island has a different kind of madras. So it beca- I think it's using that heritage tourism is, yeah. is where the Caribbean can distinguish each country or each island, you know, as its own thing, because there is something in our food, the way we speak, the differences in our music. Our landmarks, like I was saying earlier, whether it's your museums, maybe that's a, a movement where people start to learn how to develop a museum to preserve their heritage. That then becomes a thing people come there to see. There's your literature, you know. There's finding out the the written parts of your history that don't get taught in schools that you might want someone to learn about your place. Um, there's people coming for wellness, so make it about your herbs and your plants. My dad is an herbalist and I always think about man you know if I was home we'd set up a tour you know he knows every plant and what it's for and and even though we may have similar species in different islands they may be used for different things so mm-hmm. there there are ways there's art you know we we all have artists and and the way we create things our crafts our arts and crafts room making and and um the the way we design, I don't know, maybe ceramics or some of those. Things. There are different elements of our culture that we can highlight and not just take the easy road and say, hey, I have a pretty beach. I have really nice hotels. Come on down.
1: Yeah, that 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 level of marketing has annoyed me for decades in terms of come on down. And the other thing, too, is just like in Europe where French culture is different than Spanish and Spanish is different than Italian. You guys have the same thing in the Caribbean. I just don't see it uh, 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 exploited enough. And the other thing, too, in terms of tailoring the message, you know, America is about to hit their spring break with these college students. That's one message to them. But maybe you do a different message to the Europeans who are coming down for summer break
2: Mm -hmm. or people who travel with children. You know, so what you what you do on vacation when you're a family is going to be different than what you do if you're a college student or a single person or someone on a bachelorette trip or a bachelor's trip, you know, so with one of the things I've seen with COVID is an opportunity for your villas, your Airbnb owners, small hotels. Um, I have a friend in Jamaica that has converted his wife's family property into this, he calls it a bespoke farm stay. And it's a I think it's too big to be a bed and breakfast, but too small to be a hotel, but they've got their own farm. They grow their food. They've got the farm to table service. He's creating an event venue. I mean, watching him develop that, just put all these ideas in my head. And from early last year, I said, hey, like your property is exactly what's going to be needed during COVID. Before we knew we'd be here a year later, you know, I just remember telling him like, this is the future. Because as much as I like to travel, I've been to Vegas. I'd be leery about a hotel with 14,000 rooms. I'd rather stay somewhere where I can kind of manage my environment, you know, and still have some level of feeling like I left home and I don't have to do everything myself before plunging into a, a hotel environment where you're with thousands of people you don't know.
1: Yeah, I, 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 I still don't know how they're going to do that uh, here in Vegas. And uh, it, it's a little scary. My sister works at one of the casinos and, um, uh, you know, I, I watch her go to work. She's got a face shield on plus mm. a mask up underneath of it. And, you know, like I said, we just got the 50% capacity authorization mm. a couple of days ago. I don't know what's going to happen this summer when, you know, if the governor decides to relax those restrictions. But uh yeah, I, I like that Jamaica stuff, though. I mean, Dave's a good farmer, because if you want me to farm all that fruit and vegetables are going to die out there. But Dave, <laughs> Dave can handle that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you talk about culture, and you talked about it in a way, where you say that maybe literature, you talked about families traveling with children. Uh, this is a good way, I believe, to segue into your passion for uh, children's books. I know you're extremely passionate about The book and the podcast.
2: Well, thank you for bringing that up. So, so
1: first of all, tell us the name of the podcast. First of all,
2: well, I want to clarify two things. So, one, I am one of the people behind the podcast. It's actually my sister's dream project. It's called Authored by Us. And it's a, a podcast that features children's book authors who write about diverse characters and cultures. So, while we know there are children's books all over, there are up and coming authors or even establish authors who we may not have heard of because they don't get the visibility through a mainstream publisher. And those are the authors that Authored By Us wants to highlight. It doesn't matter where in the world you're from. If you're writing books for children of color, that they can see themselves on the pages, we want to know about you and talk about how you came to write this story and what it means for the children who read your books. And so uh, my sister is Hodge Came up with this idea uh, over the holidays, launched it in January, and I'm using my communications and PR to help get the word out and find authors from all over the world. And why, why I say it's important, for instance, you have a hotel, you have authors in a destination. I'll use St. Thomas as an example. If there are people locally writing books, those books could be in the hotel bookstore. That becomes a way to extend dollars into the local economy because now you're supporting a local writer who has published their work, probably self-published, but they're getting eyes on it beyond the local community where they live. And you're giving your visitor something they can take back that's a part of where they just came from, especially if this book is about the things they'll see while they're there. So, Authored by Us is weekly on Wednesdays. Uh, That's A U T H O R E D B Y U S on all podcast platforms. And it's just a great way to highlight different writers who, again, may not have been given a chance to have their work exposed to audiences all around the world. So, that's why I'm passionate about it because I've always worked with small business owners. And to me, entrepreneurs have so much talent. But they don't always have the, the platform, the support, the network to put their works out there as someone with tons of money might. And so it takes people like us to expose others to their work.
1: Yep, it, it most Fantastic. definitely does. And before I forget, remind me when we go off air, we have an author for you who actually appeared on our podcast earlier this year who's written a children's book, and she happens to be a teacher in the United States. From the caribbean
2: that's perfect that's very perfect but those are the kind of yeah. people that we want to hear about so thank you for that
1: yeah i'll i'll, I'll give it all uh, up to you when we uh finish with the podcast <laughs> um but yeah she she uh <laughs> and she loves to travel she's one of those solo african-american women travelers who just loves going by herself and uh uh, so she's not going to invite Dave and I along. So <laughs> <Get all that. laughs> heck, 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 she even left her family behind because they didn't want to go. And and they were so worried about her. And she took off. I, I think she went to either Greece or Italy. Where was it, Dave? Where where she was going. Yeah, she was going through the airport and some man kept following behind her, hollering her name and she was afraid and come to find all he wanted to do was sell or something.
0: <laughs> wasn't it, uh, wasn't it Morocco? I'm not, I don't No, I don't think thought. it was
1: Morocco. I think it was someplace in Europe. Greece is what's sticking in my head, but I, I, okay. I digress. I, I, I don't remember. So, anyway, no, we want to. Um, we will definitely get your uh, the mention of the podcast in the show notes and 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 you know get some word out to help you along with that endeavor. In addition to our one guest that we had that wrote a children's book, sure thing. Um, so yeah, no, let us let us do that at least for you in, in thanking you for being on our podcast and. Um, Dave, you got any final parting words?
0: Well, I just want to thank Loanne for appearing on our podcast. I've, you know, I've said that so many times in emails. And that, that suggests that I'm really, really grateful that you were able to join us and share that wealth of information that you have.
2: Well, I, so, I appreciate being able to be here. So thank you.
0: So uh, I'm hoping that you have some interest in being a guest at some point again.
2: I would love to. This was fun. It, it broke up the normal Zoom call fatigue that I think we've all had. <laughs> you know, mo- most business meetings are not this exciting or this this engaging. So it, it was really great to meet you too. And I think what you have is a really excellent product um, to expose people to parts of the world that they may have yet to discover, but it's not your typical travel show it's like traveling through the eyes of the person who went there versus a guidebook and and i i just think that that's a, an interesting way to hear about a destination from someone else's experience because what the pre-packaged guidebook might tell you to do may not be the best part of the trip is the little lone secret that someone who's experienced it can say hey you should also try this when you go
0: yeah no yeah but- and i told you I told you it was not going to be an interview. It was going to be a conversation. (laughs)
2: And you did not disappoint. So I really appreciate the time to chat with both of you.
1: Well, and and I I will end this podcast with this. I think we underestimate how much travel touches our lives. When you're sitting in the comfort of your home or your job, whatever place you happen to work, you're going to come across contact with somebody who's either traveled to get to you, traveled to your destination. And I don't mean commuting to work. There are people in your uh, places of business or your social life that come from all over the world. So one of the things that Dave and I wanted to do was to highlight that and, br- and bring that to your attention. Don't underestimate travel just because you think it's always tied to a vacation. It's not.
0: How can our listeners learn more about you and connect with you?
2: Well, I, I don't have my website ready yet, but I am on Twitter and Instagram, my handle is at Gobi Wright. That's G-O-B like boy I, Gobi Wright. Um, as I mentioned, I am a journalist. So I, I use that as a way to showcase some of the articles I've written. And I'm also on LinkedIn, Loanne Lake. Um, and so I'm sure that'll be in the show notes how to spell my name. It's spelled a little bit differently. Um, but those will be the primary ways to reach me, uh, Twitter or Instagram.
1: Got it. Perfect. Well, Loanne, thank you so much for doing this. And that's all for today's show. If you like our show and want to learn more, please join our mailing list, which you can access on our website, TripCast360.com. So join us next time for another intriguing conversation with great guests such as Loanne. So for Dave Cumberbatch, this is Michael Gordon Bennett. We'll see you next time. And thanks for listening.